0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. Hopefully your week is going well. Um, My week has been a little interesting, but I'm here, so that's what counts. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm excited because today we have Morgan San Diego on the pod. Welcome to the podcast, Morgan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for joining. Um, So you guys... You guys might recognize her voice if you're watching the video, if you're watching, you know, YouTube, you might recognize her face. Um, So Morgan has a, um, Morgan is a psych NP. And so let me give you a little background on who she is and kind of what she brings to the table. And then we can talk a little bit about why you probably recognize her voice. Um, So Morgan is a board certified psychiatric nurse practitioner with over 10 years experience in mental health. Um, she's practiced at top facilities for mental health treatment, um, and her passion for mental health and co-occurring disorders is rooted in her personal experience growing up in Baltimore, Maryland. As her private uh, as a provider, Morgan has a unique experience being on the other side of the desk as a patient with ADHD and major dis- depressive disorder. And as a provider, her mission is to normalize mental health treatment and medications and provide a safe, non-judgmental space for patients of all backgrounds experiences and sexual orientation so on top of that I found Morgan on Instagram which is where I find a lot of my guests but um, I've been following Morgan for a while and she has um, a very interesting like niche presence online where she talks um, to nurses quite often and a lot of uh, the education that you provide and a lot of the news that you kind of we'll just say report on or kind of fill us in on has a lot to do with nurses and their mental health and how they can navigate the nursing industry in a way that takes care of their mental health. Does that, does that kind of, is that a good sum up of what kind of. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What, what inspired you to to kind of hop online and kind of start sharing your own story and helping others? Well, first
1: I kind of um, like made TikTok and like kind of started posting on Instagram because I was really bored. So <laughs> I was um, like so many other people during the pandemic. Um, I was in well, one of my assignments was in LA, and of course, LA was shut down. Um, so there really wasn't much to do. So I kind of just was talking about. I remember, I did an Instagram live about how I passed the NCLEX and seventy five questions on my first attempt, and. People still kept asking questions. Um, People were kind of surprised because it is kind of um, not rare, but it's not very normal to pass in such um, a small amount of questions. And a lot of people don't obviously pass their first attempt. So um, I really realized that there was a lack of knowledge um, and information being kind of shared in public on the internet about how to be successful in nursing school. And then there were so many questions about travel nursing. Everyone was starting travel, During the pandemic and I was a seasoned traveler before the pandemic. So there was a lot of information that I wanted to share that I thought could be useful. So I I kind of started there, but then starting to get more personal about like my personal life, um, my own struggles with, um, depression and ADHD kind of started over the last, I would say year, year and a half.
0: Wow. Like that, that's, I think it's awesome. And I think the timing of it was probably perfect given that 2020 was happening. And I know as I kind of did some research for this episode and I was reminded of how much pressure we put on our healthcare workers back in 2020 Mm -hmm. and how I remember like the, the um, like the billboards that were like superheroes and like our healthcare workers are like superheroes and they're just doing it all. And as much as I think it came from endearment, I think it kind of dehumanized yeah. um, nurses and, and healthcare providers that were dealing with so much at once. And, um, I, the other side of it was that now uh, the more, I I know you've re- recently released some content about how a lot of nurses are choosing to leave the industry. And it has a lot to do with like work-life balance and their mental health, um, And I realize I'm asking you a bunch of questions and I'm going to save them Mm -hmm. because we actually want to get to know you before we get into the, into the tough stuff. We're actually going to do our fast and curious round. So I want to know a little bit more about you before we get into the nitty gritty. Um, I got some questions for you and it's three minutes and you let me know what's the first, first answer that comes to mind, or if you got a story behind it, you can share it. Okay. Let's go. Let's, Let's do it. All right. Where is the... Uh, where is your favorite place that you've ever traveled to? Mm. Oh, that's hard. Uh, I would say maybe Paris, I think.
1: What was it about what, Paris of-
0: that, like, stuck out for you?
1: Well, I think Paris is very special. Um, me and my mom go to Paris a lot. I think at this point I've been in Paris four times. I love the food. Um... I've never had a bad meal in Paris. And people don't think about like soul food when they think about Paris. There's a bomb restaurant. It's called Mama Jackson's. The best macaroni and cheese, best fried chicken you probably had hold on, hold in on. Europe. <laughs> yes.
0: What? Yes. Are so you going to Paris to have mac and cheese? And, and, it's, is. and it's that. Good? And it
1: is. Okay. Listen, it All is right. delicious. And then I'm everyone knows I like love macaroons. They hit me in show cold. Um, Lauderay, just tastes different in Paris. I just, I just love the culture. I love, I, there's so much to do and yeah, I just, I really love Paris. It's a place that I just keep going back to. And then there's so many travel options once you're in Paris um, because it's such a huge airport there in London Heathrow, you can get almost anywhere in the
0: world. So love. Oh, I love that as a fellow traveler, I'm going to write that in my list when I make yes. it to Paris, I'm going there. <laughs> and also
1: black Paris tours. Um, me and my mom did that. I think my first year, the first time I went to Paris, um it was very eye-opening to kind of see our culture, um to go to places like Little Africa um
0: in Paris. It was good. I loved it. Oh, okay, I definitely got to go now. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you had to delete all but three apps from your smartphone, which one, which three are you going to keep? And I'll give you like your text app, I'll give you the <laughs> the call app. And I'll give you the internet app. But you can only pick 3 more.
1: Okay, email, Instagram and TikTok. Because okay. I got I got to I got to keep keep my income streams open.
0: Okay? So. I like that. <laughs> um if you were going to sail around the world, where's the name? What's what would be the name of your boat and where would you go first? I would definitely
1: leave from Turkey, from Fethiye, one of the most beautiful places. It's so beautiful. It's a really little known gem. I would probably either leave from Fethiye or Bodrum in Turkey. It's like the, it's the bourgeois place in Turkey. Um, I would leave from there and I would call my boat the Lit
0: Adventure. Mm. That's what I would call her. I like that. Okay. Can I, can I, um, like ride with you? in the Of snowboard? course, of okay. course, of course. Pull up. <laughs> um, if you could, uh, compete in a sport in the Olympics, what would you compete in?
1: That's a good question. Cause I don't really know what I'm, what I'm good at sport wise. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe a bobsled, maybe a bobsled. Okay, All Yeah. Right. That seems a little cool. I mean, as long as I'm not running on ice, if I can do like a grass,
0: Okay, maybe? I don't or know. Or steel? I think it might be steel. I think it might be steel or I'll ice. do the steel. I don't I, I'm, I'm not trying to do the ice. Okay. I don't think it's <laughs> going to work well with me. If you can sit down with three people and they could be dead, alive, imaginary, fictional characters and you could go to your favorite spot for dinner, which three people would you choose and why? Hmm. Um...
1: I would probably choose my grandmother, my father's mother, um who I never got to meet, who passed away before mm-hmm. I was born um, i would I would probably take one of my well one of my uncles who passed away um uncle Ray, I would take him. He's part of the reason that my name on Instagram and TikTok is Morgan San Diego. Um, it was a joke because he would say that he would call me Hollywood and say, you always going somewhere. Um, and that's kind of like how I started, you know, as a travel nurse, like my family just knew I was always on the move. So um never changing my name on social media because it just has such a, a near and dear connection to, to him. And I think third... Hmm. I think third would probably be Beyonce. Anybody like? Okay. I absolutely love Beyonce. I'm a Beyonce fan. She's so inspirational. Um, she's so talented, and I just, I just love her. Have you seen her concert? The one in Dubai, yeah. the illegal one? Yes, I have. Yes, I have.
0: You went to the one in Dubai?
1: Oh no, no, no. I, I saw it online. Oh. <laughs> online? No, no, no. I don't no, know. Have not you there. ever
0: seen it ever? But that, that yes. concert was insane. Like she was a hundred feet up in the air on a stick performing, yes singing her lungs out it was crazy I
1: went to I went to the last three toys that she's done so oh, I've wow. gone to yeah I've gone to I, I'm I'm a committed fan I don't okay. play about Beyonce You're part of
0: the, what is it the beehive the beehive yes
1: okay. I am the head the head bee of the beehive the head bee. I lead the okay. beehive yes
0: mm-hmm. I lead the beehive okay <laughs> she is that I girl love that. okay so what's your favorite Beyonce song actually you know think favorite it, album I think it would
1: I'm going to say like the thing that I would play like beginning to end without stops B-day for sure okay I, but I would say that my favorite song of hers is Drunk in Love because I'm really a Jay-Z fan as well mm-hmm. and I just I not only love the song but I love the video and I just love their chemistry in it they have yeah. they have really good songs together but I think that drunken love, just yeah, it's a vibe. It's a vibe, and yeah, it's almost like Valentine's Day. So,
0: oh yeah, yeah, that video was was iconic too. That video yeah. was was legendary. I think my favorite Beyonce album is Four. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah I feel like out of everything I listened to, that one I can always go back and just like run run through the whole thing. And her song with Andre Andre Three Thousand was like yeah. Yeah, I like party. Yes. Um, Okay, so we're going to hop into our next segment. What's the psych tea? So for those of you that are new and listening, this segment is where I am a nerd and I pull up an article and we talk about it. So today we are going to talk a little bit about what I mentioned earlier, which is the trend that we have been seeing, which is health healthcare workers leaving the field particularly nurses that are choosing to leave working in like a hospital setting, um, or just leaving healthcare entirely. So here are some fun facts. And as you guys know, all of the uh, links will be in the description. So I'm not making things up. (laughs) So, um, according to several recent studies, the healthcare field has lost an estimated 20% of its workforce over the past two years, including 30% of nurses um for according to the HSHS, HS, i can't speak today eight aha <laughs> survey data show that between 2019 and 2020 job vacancies for various types of nursing personnel have increased by 30 percent and for respiratory therapists it increased by 31 percent um the shortages persist and with an al- analysis of emsi data showing there would be a shortage of up to 3.2 million healthcare workers by 2026 so we are in 2023 and it's going to go by faster than we can blink and I feel like 2026 is not that far away so Morgan I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts especially since you're in in healthcare Um, like what are your thoughts on some of the reasons that people are leaving so
1: To be totally transparent, I think that one of the big things about why people are leaving is that they financially, they can. So before the pandemic, um, it it was very unheard of for nurses to find contracts where they were making over $4,000 a week, like outside of Hawaii and like California, where that that kind of pay is just kind of average. it was kind of unheard of. And then you had nurses who were making almost $10,000 a week and they were very strategic about that money. Um, very intentional about that money. And let's just, let's just really normalize, um, the transition of people from middle working class into generational wealth. And I, I really love that for them because I think that it's great to be able to be in a position where you can set yourself up to be an entrepreneur or, you know, to have more than you, you know, that you're used to. Like, I I, I love that. And I don't want to take that away from anyone. The other side is that you also have people who were just burnt out and just leaving and just saying, I don't care if I'm making more money, I'm, I'm done with this. So I think that we saw a lot of both. Um, both of those people who kind of just were transitioning out of nursing. I, I kind of understand and resonate with both, but I think that there are still ways to, to still be a nurse or still be a respiratory therapist or be in healthcare in some capacity and set those boundaries so that you are still happy and mentally healthy. Um, and you can still take care of patients if if you desire to. Because I think that a lot of people also kind of got into the field and they said, well, I don't know if I really like this. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to not like a job. Um, it's not okay to stay in the job. <laughs> um, you know, right. if, if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be causing out- poor outcomes for patients, if you're, if you're going to be a, a horrible nurse, you, you shouldn't stay. Right. But I think there were a lot of things happening, and a lot of people just, they just reached a, a breaking point, I think, too, with their mental health about some of these employers. You know, I've been talking about the things going on in New York, um, especially with New York Presbyterian. People were very upset to find out that their CEO made $12 million a year while, oh, wow. yes, while telling nurses that they couldn't afford to to, to recruit more nurses or they couldn't afford X, Y, Z, but yet you're making $12 million a year. That, that can be very upsetting to people.
0: Wow. And for, for those of you, for those people that are listening and may not be familiar with the situation that's going on in New York, can you give us a little, a little bit more background on New York Presbyterian? Absolutely. So New York Presbyterian is one
1: of many hospitals um, that are under Um, the New York um, Nurses Union, and they recently went on strike last month. Well, actually, it was this month, um, earlier this month in January. Um, And a lot of their concerns were things that I really resonate with as a former New York, well, a a nurse practitioner that worked in New York, and their concerns were things like safe staffing. I mean, some of the ratios in New York are insane. Like, I have seen them try to assign 16 patients for one nurse. And And, that that can't
0: be like good for the patients.
1: No, because like in, in states like California, you have mandatory um, ratios and their ratio is one to four. So just using the California mandated ratios ratios as a guide to see what's appropriate. How do you think it's appropriate to assign a nurse four times the ratio of what a nurse would normally have in another state? The patients aren't any less sick. <laughs> the patients right. are exactly the patients. The patients' acuity are, are is typically the same that you're going to see in the ER. Um, but ha- but having anything to me over six is really stretching thin, especially in the heat of COVID, where we're having so many patients who we're having to intubate, so many patients who decline very quickly. And right now we're in you know flu and RSV season. These patients are sick. They are very sick.
0: Right. That's that's kind of scary to think that from one state to the next, there is such a vast difference in in that regulation. So in New York, is there any regulation of any sort? There's none. Health? They wow. they
1: actually just they actually just made a law in January about safe staffing. Um, but prior to this, they had no regulation whatsoever. But with this law, we don't really know how it's going to be enforced so there are there are ratios now, but it it sounds like from what I what I understand and what I know from people that are still working in New York, these ratios have not been enforced and things have not changed.
0: Wow! And so when we talk about the bringing it back to the the human aspect of like these aren't just healthcare professionals as much as we want to hold them up and say okay they're superheroes they're doing all these amazing things which to me you guys are doing amazing things like everybody that has was a healthcare professional in the past three years is just taking on a load that nobody knew was coming. But when Mm -hmm. we talk about the effects on the actual person, um, maybe you can speak to from, from your own experiences, but what are some of the effects when you're dealing with like 16 patients instead of four, and maybe you're working for like 24 hours straight. Like how does that affect somebody? It's very, industry.
1: it's very nerve-wracking. Um, I've had a few patients, most of my patients are actually not healthcare workers now. Um, but I used to work for platforms where I did have a lot of um healthcare providers. And um what I what I keep seeing is definitely anxiety. Um people having difficulties with de-stressing once they're off of work. So people needing anxiety medications to even sleep um is what I have seen a lot of. So I think that people have a, a heightened state of anxiety a lot of times even when leaving work and it's just hard to decompress. That's what I'm that's what I'm kind of I'm um, as a provider.
0: And I can only imagine cuz I've had like family friends and like um you know friends whose parents are in the nursing industry and I know that the timing of like the shifts can also be a little bit overwhelming because you can just yeah. go home for a few hours. Can you tell us a little bit about that for those of us that don't necessarily know that nurses can like work tons and tons of hours without getting a break? So that was a, a big
1: thing with the New York strike as well. Um, that there were like, I, and and again, don't quote me. I I believe that it was around four to six hours of rest is what they were getting, but they were working like ridiculously long hours during the strike. That was just unearthing to me. But a lot of times nurses, most of us work 12 hour shifts, um, you know, at the bedside. So you could be getting off and then coming right back the next day. And for people on night shift, that can be really, really hard. Um, A lot of sleep wake disorders you might um, see with people who work night shift or do shift work in general, like a lot of OR nurses might do eight hour shifts of night shifts. And that's really, really hard. A lot of nurses in psych do eight hour night shifts and it can be, it can be really difficult to transition your body back and forth and then to try to live like a
0: normal life on the weekends and, and still Mm. do things. And I know you mentioned sleep wake disorders. What can you tell me a little bit more about what that is? So
1: basically like, your body is kind of going haywire. It's not really understanding, well, why are we going to sleep at this time and waking up at this time? It's it's basically like a dis, a disruption um, from a normal sleep pattern. So that's what a lot of people who work night shifts or people who work like off shifts
0: go through. Wow. And I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing as far as like you're a psych NP now. So at some point, were you a nurse prior to that? And was mm-hmm. there like a intentional decision, like I'm going to leave nursing and pursue a career of a nurse practitioner? Kind of walk me through what that transition looked like and was that your plan all along or was that something that you kind of discovered while being a nurse?
1: Well, it, it wasn't my plan all along. Um, so first... Psych nurse practitioners really didn't even become popular or well-known until maybe the last like maybe three or four years. Um, But I want to be really intentional. You never really leave nursing as a nurse practitioner. You're still a nurse. And in every single state except for one, and I can't remember what state that is, you're even required to keep your RN license active while you're a nurse practitioner. So it's part of the requirement. So I mean, there's been times that I'll go take a, a RN travel assignment, or I'll do a quote unquote RN job, but and I, and I can because I'm a nurse practitioner, so and I and I keep my licenses active, um, so it was never really my intention to completely like step away from nursing. Period, but. Um, I think like around maybe 20, 2016, I, I found out about Psych and Peace and I said, well, this could be cool because everyone was going back to get their family nurse practitioner degree and I did not like med or or family practice and I was like, I don't care how much money they're paying, I'm not doing a job I don't like. So when I found out about psych, um, nurse practitioners and I saw like kind of what they did, um, I really, I really became interested. And so at that point I looked more into it and I said, okay, you know, I'm gonna go back to school. And I went back to school in 2017. Um, for a psych and P, but before that, like I had been a psych nurse. I always tell people you need to get psych experience, or if you want to be any kind of advanced practitioner, you need to get experience in the field first before going back. That's why it's called advanced practice. You can't advance a practice you don't have.
0: Mm. And what what do you like about being in the psych, the psychiatric side of things versus I, I guess, don't, I don't, you know. I don't know. It's it's
1: just something about um, like the neurotransmitters, the medication that really interests me. And I don't know. I just don't get excited talking about beta blockers. I, I it just <laughs> it just doesn't do it for me. But when you talk about like when you talk about stuff like Wellbutrin and the neurotransmitters that are involved and and, and the the things that like what what kind of patient I would prescribe it for and what I'll be looking for, you know, during the treatment process, that excites me. And I don't really know why. But I just know that I find, you know, the medical part of things very boring. And I've just always found psych
0: exciting. I I don't really know why, but. Well, for those that are listening that are like, what is a psych MP? I know I've had a psych MP on here before, but I really Mm -hmm. want to give everybody an opportunity to learn about what a psychiatric nurse practitioner is um, for a couple of reasons. The first is just doing this podcast i've learned about so many different positions in the field of mental health that i did not know existed psych MP was one of them and one of the first questions i asked was okay is it the same as a psychologist or is it the same as my primary care physician and can you describe medication so can you give us a little information on that the thing that's interesting first before
1: before that is that I, I don't want people to think that their primary care provider can't prescribe psych meds. The thing is, is that a lot of your primary care providers are going to be the first people that prescribe you a psych med. And nine times out of 10, when a patient comes to me, They've been prescribed a med, a psych med from their, their their primary care provider. Usually it's for depression or anxiety, because if it's, you know, anything like psychosis or bipolar disorder, they're like, I'm not touching it, I'm scared. Like, and I'm like, bring them to me. I love it. I love it here. So I never mind that. And I love working with primary care because um they're amazing and they usually see the patient first anyway, before I do. Um but what I do um we're able to prescribe medication um we're able to diagnose um patients for um any type of psychiatric um illness, and we're able to you know prescribe treatment we're able to um to bill as psychiatrists well, not as psychiatrists but we we bill um you know for our services so it's different from being a psychologist because psychologists. Um, aren't able to prescribe, but your psych nurse practitioner usually is not going to do therapy with you. I know we're going to get, we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, They can do therapy with you, but they're going to usually be prescribing you medication, um, doing your evals, your follow-ups. And
0: yeah, that's what we do. Cool. So is it, is it similar to a psychiatrist?
1: Yes. Yes. So we are similar. Um, State to state, it kind of differs what we can do. Like in certain states, um, especially like in inpatient settings, we can't make patients involuntary. We can't, you know, hold people against their will um, without a psychiatrist um, evaluating the patient. It really just depends on kind of state to state um, as far as different regulations. Um, I know in Maryland, This is a full practice authority state. Um, So I am able to do almost everything that a psychiatrist can do. It just depends on the institution if they have certain rules and regulations. Um, But I practice in a few different states and not all of them are full practice authority. But um, I've been really blessed to have great um, collaborating psychiatrists. So um, and it's interestingly enough, all of my well, no, not all of them. I've had one. one non-black woman, but, um, all of my collaborating psychiatrists have been black women. So it's been really Really? interesting. Yeah. It's been really interesting. And I'm, and I'm very intentional with, um, with who I want to work with. And, um, so far the relationships have been amazing. Even with the person who was, who was non-black, he's absolutely amazing. I love him. Um, he's very, very smart, very bright. Um, because it, you know, you don't necessarily want to feel challenged all the time. You don't want to have your clinical judgment questioned. you know, although my collaborating psychiatrist really is kind of like my boss um you know we've we never really had you know clash issues where you know she she told me anything like i don't think that you did this correctly like we never we never had that kind of relationship it's very much you know let me learn from you i can learn you know you can learn from me and um just working together to try to get the best outcome for the patient so
0: it's more of a team effort than like a boss kind of dynamic. yeah i mean they are the supervisor yeah. <laughs> the,
1: they are the supervisor but um yeah the t- the term is collaborating psychiatrist but yeah but absolutely it's it's very much a collaboration um team effort
0: and that's awesome that you were able to have collaborating psychiatrists mm-hmm. right yeah <laughs> yeah that you work with that are other black women because i think that is really rare i don't think i've heard anybody say that mm-hmm. um but that is awesome that you were able to do that because I know even though some people are trying to be intentional about that, they may kind of still have a, have a tough time seeing people that look like themselves. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to medication, um, like you said, you're able to uh, diagnose and you're also able to prescribe medication similar to a primary care physician and similar mm-hmm. to a psychiatrist. Now, we know that, in general, there are some misconceptions about medication, but I think particularly within the black community, mm. we have a lot of i want to say some shame around taking medication, and there's a bit of a taboo around taking medication because it kind of means something is quote unquote wrong with you. Mm. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions that you've heard as a psych m p. Uh, when it comes to like SSRIs and other types of medication used for mental health. Okay. Okay.
1: So I'm going to kind of go from across the table, um, because like this, this is like a, a low key trigger for me because I remember my ex, like I was on a antidepressant, um, and my ex said, you know, in an argument, you need to get back on your, you know, name of the SSRI um because you you've been you've been something. Like I forget what, you know, what word she said. And I think that the biggest thing that we have to do like in our community is stop throwing medication in people's face. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to kind of take accountability ourselves and realize that Medication is is a very like tough subject to address, and we have to realize that we can't use it as like a as a piece of you know of of a winner of an argument. So yeah. even when we're upset, even when we even when we um, feel like there are problems, if you if you feel like your your partner's medication is a problem, you need to bring that up in a non judgmental way and in a safe space, not in the middle of an argument. That's the first thing. Um, we never want to create guilt and shame around medications. Um, the biggest misconceptions that I have heard about um, SSRIs in general, and not even misconceptions, but the symptoms that I think that people are most like on edge about number one, weight gain, huge, really, huge, Yeah. Huge. Yeah. People, people are, are up in arms about that. The second thing is having sexual changes. Um, Either a decreased desire to have sex, um, or it being difficult for you to reach i will will just say big O because I don't know if it's
0: going to this or, or you. No, you—you can, you can say it. we're all grown here. <laughs> okay,
1: okay, but it could be difficult for you to reach orgasm. It could be. Um, the last thing is um, stomach upset, nausea, vomiting. So there's a, a couple of things I want to tackle with that. So with weight gain, there are some SSRIs that are more keen to possibly give you weight gain than others. Um you typically with SSRIs that isn't the the category of medications that I really worry about with weight gain. It's typically the second generation antipsychotics. So that's your abilify, your aprecia, your Seroquel Um it's those medications that I would be more worried about. The second thing is the sexual side effects. That's the easiest fix to be honest because really? you either this yes, because you either discontinue a medication and nine times out of 10, the research tells us that it completely goes away. Okay. Or you can add Welbutrin. And so what is Welbutrin? So well, so Welbutrin is um, classified as an antidepressant. Well, it's, it kind of it's in its own category. It's not an SSRI. It's not an SNRI. It works by increasing dopamine and norepinephrine. So typically when we prescribe that along with the SSRI, if it's causing those problems, um, it takes away the issues with the decreased um, libido, which is a decreased desire to have sex, or, um, you know, if people are having issues with reaching orgasm, it usually takes that away. So typically if I have an issue with that, or if a patient has an issue with that, that's what I typically do, and I yet have not had a problem. Um, And then the last thing, what did I say? So you said, well,
0: Betrin could be paired with another medication to help. No, for the, um, venom? for the,
1: for the issues that patients, that patients have. Oh, the nausea and vomiting, the nausea and vomiting oh, that yeah. goes away after usually three to five days. So the reason, and, and this is why, again, I just love medication. I love talking about it. It just makes my face light up. Um, serotonin is housed in your gut. So it kind of makes sense that when you start an SSRI, it's increasing the amount of serotonin in your body. So it makes sense that it would make you feel nauseous. So there's a lot of different ways that we can kind of go around that. Typically, I start patients off with a low dose. Start low, go slow has never failed me. I tell the patients, though, I need you to work with me because it because it, it's probably going to take more of the six weeks. People tell you four to six weeks. It's probably going to take six to eight weeks because I want to go slow. I would rather go slow and it just take you a little bit longer to get to a good place as opposed to us going too quickly and we had to take different medications out and say that it was an unsuccessful trial. Like, I don't want to have to switch patients from medication to medication. I mean, they don't like it. They don't like it. I mean, if they're paying for for medication out of pocket and they don't have um, insurance, it makes it expensive. So I just feel like this is just
0: less of a headache for everybody. Yeah. And so how many times are people typically seeing you? Do they see you like, once a month or once every other month or once every couple of weeks? And does that change over time? So typically I like to see patients once a
1: month um, when we start treatment, unless there are things that concern me. So if I have a patient who typically is either actively psychotic, um, if I have a patient who I know is manic or has a propensity to go, into mania very quickly if there are safety concerns basically thoughts to hurt themselves or others i want to usually see those patients a lot sooner than than one month
0: is is that like every two weeks or or usually yeah usually usually two weeks if if i had to see
1: someone once a week um it's usually concerning for me and at that point Depending on the patient, um, we might be looking for inpatient um, admission, depending on what, what the what the criteria is. Because a lot of people will see their therapist once a week. But if you're seeing me every week, first of all, I don't want to kill your pockets. That's not my goal. Um, and it's very, very expensive to see a, a prescriber every week. And a lot of times your insurance is not going to cover visits that frequently.
0: Right. No, I and I appreciate you being conscious of people's budgets because... As somebody who has spent far too much money navigating the medical industry and hospitals and doctors' visits, it's nice when providers are like are conscious of like, hey, maybe let's wait till next month to see if we don't have to see right now yeah. or in, in two weeks because it th- those bills add up real fast. Yeah, and I and I even have
1: some patients who see me every three months. Um, Because they're stable. They're super stable. Um, I can send off their their meds. Some of them are on controlled substances where I can't send off three months at a time. But they'll call the office, let me know when they're ready, and I'll send it off. So it really depends on the patient if they're stable in their medication regimen.
0: Now, I know we're we're talking about medication. I want to transition it to uh, talk therapy. So Mm -hmm. I know that you technically can do talk therapy. But I know when we originally spoke, you're like, "Eh, I could do it. And a lot mm-hmm. of psych MPs are capable of doing talk therapy, but you won't typically find a lot of psych MPs that do talk therapy. Can you tell right. me a little bit why and yeah, why that why that is? It's money.
1: Um, so a lot of us a lot of us <laughs> don't own our own practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the most part, we are operating under what someone else is telling us. So from a financial perspective, when you look at billing and you know, if you do talk therapy, that session may be an hour. And let's say, you know, whatever state you're in, you can get a reimbursement of like an average of 150, you know, from private insurance. But when you bill a 99214, which is a medium complexity follow-up visit, you you probably are going to get around maybe 130 to 150 for that. So if you can fit four visits in one hour, you're making the practice $600 $600 as opposed to $150. And I mean, you could add a, a medication management code on there, but still like the you're, you're generating almost half less revenue than you could. So from a practice standpoint, it typically doesn't make sense. But I do know a lot of psych MPs who've actually started their own practices because they wanted to be able to do therapy with their patients. Um, for me, I want to do what I'm best at. And for me, I'm best at medication management. I'm really, really good with medication management. And I think that I know so many great therapists, especially in the areas that I practice in, I'm always referring patients to different places that not only like I know that do, that do good work, but like places that I've gone, you know, mm-hmm. because most of my patients are black. Most of my patients are women. And like, I want to see a black, you know, I want to see a black woman as a therapist. And if I know a good black woman therapist, why wouldn't I suggest that practice to them?
0: Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And that's really good insight. And as far as once you make that referral, is there any collaboration between you and the therapist that they're going to see? Um,
1: it, it depends on the patient. It depends okay. on the patient. Um, because like I, I have had at least maybe one or two patients who have wanted to have collaboration because they didn't necessarily maybe agree with, um, what their therapist's plan was or, you know, what have you. But typically, um, typically we don't have collaboration, but if they want to, I'm always open to it.
0: Oh, I love that. And mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about again, going back to working in the nursing industry. And I think, and for you personally, I know you mentioned that you manage ADHD, your own ADHD Mm -hmm. and major depressive disorder. And Mm -hmm. I can only imagine how interesting it's got to be for you as a psych Mm -hmm. MP and somebody that's managing those two things and being in the, in the mental health world. So how do you manage those two and what has worked for you and what hasn't in the past?
1: Um, yeah, I think that the biggest thing that's worked for me, especially with ADHD is taking a lot of breaks, um, and, and flexing out my work schedule, a rigid work schedule of like nine to five does not work for me. Um, in order for me to stay engaged, in order for me to stay focused, it really kind of helps for me to like break up my day. Um, there was a point when I used to do like nine to like 1130 or nine to 12 and then, like a one to a one to three. So having like a broken up schedule really helped me and being able to take breaks um, was very helpful for me as well. Um, I think also going into private practice was very helpful for me as well because a lot of places that I've seen, a lot of startups now like had these like 30-minute evals and I just don't see how people make that work, <laughs> um, mm. especially with, you know, patients that want to sit and tell you their story. And, I, and I, I'm I cool with it. You know, if you want to tell me, you know, about about your your dog when you were four years old, that's cool with me. But we can't get through all of that information in 30 minutes. So being able to kind of do private practice and and give my patients all the time they kind of want to talk, um, for me, was really helpful because I didn't feel as rushed. I didn't feel as anxious um, through my day. So I think those were like the most important things besides medication. um, I think that medication, again, like we said, is a very touchy subject for people. But being on medication truly changed my life for both depression and ADHD, really changed my life. So I think those are like the biggest things that I've done to, to kind of help myself and um, that I've, I've seen, you know, lasting changes in.
0: And when we talk particularly about ADHD, I know for myself, I don't know too many black women that will outright say that they have ADHD. Um, But I also know that there's been, and I don't have the studies memorized in my head, but I know typically we don't get diagnosed as much or Mm -hmm. we get misdiagnosed, particularly when it comes to women or young, young girls. Mm -hmm. Do you mind me asking when you were diagnosed with ADHD? So I was, I was
1: actually diagnosed in college. Um, So I didn't, I knew that something was wrong. I just didn't know exactly what it was. And um, I think that was the hardest thing. You know, like I remember being in nursing school and loving, and I mean, this was like in the middle of going through my psych portion. So this is information that I love, information that I'm interested in. And I'm like flipping on my MacBook between... You know, Forever Twenty One site, and then going to this other audio book, and I I have in my in my headphones, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't I don't understand it. Like, literally having to go to this a section of the library in college that had no one talking in it, and glaring at people who even like whispered above, like an octave. Yeah. So you know, I I knew that something was kind of wrong and off. Um, And like, I was even in specialized classes when I was younger. Um, But, you know, I think my parents did the best they could. I love my parents. They did an amazing job. But I think that they did the best they could for what they had. Yeah. So I think that especially like back then, mental health was not like, Mental health was not as normalized as it, as it is now, and a lot of ADHD was thought of to be um, the 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 impulsive, hyperactive type. Like unless the kid was running around, you know, and couldn't yeah. sit down and couldn't stay in their seat, that like there there was like oh it was like a, a misconception. Oh, they can't have ADHD if they're not you know bouncing off the walls, right. and that's very much not true as we know today. So. I just love that we're having discussions about it um, and kind of normalizing that ADHD doesn't always look one way, Um, you know, and as long as, you know, patients meet criteria, because a lot of the patients that I've treated, you know, I didn't see or they didn't even get diagnosed until they were adults. So I think that a lot of people are coming forward now and realizing that something is off, something is wrong and wanting to accept treatment for it and aren't really embarrassed. Yeah.
0: And I I'm just curious for everybody that's listening, and when it comes to ADHD, can you name like two traits of ADHD that we wouldn't necessarily uh, associate with ADHD? Mm. I don't know because people people kind of
1: know nail, but like I think like the biggest things that um that maybe weren't thought of as much before, um. Is definitely like losing things, losing things very easily and um, having very poor short term memory, more, very more so than, than long-term, but like poor short term memory are like two things that I think maybe aren't as well known, but I mean, in this day of TikTok, you know, gurus, people, (laughs) people are always (laughs) talking about the symptoms. And I think that we kind of like understand what the inattentive symptoms look like, um, you know, more so
0: than the hyperactive symptoms now. Yeah, no, that that's super helpful. I actually didn't know that short term memory had anything to do with ADHD. So that's very interesting that you said that.
1: Yeah. And well, it's not just the short term memory, especially like when people are trying to like manage multiple things. You know, when they say like a jack of all trades is a master of none. I think Mm -hmm. about ADHD when people say that.
0: Ah, because you, okay. because you'll
1: see like like even like with people and you know what another thing I just thought of, thought about um when people like switch hobbies very very quickly yes. um when they master something and then kind of become dis, disinterested very very common findings in ADHD mm-hmm. I'm not gonna run down the DSM <laughs> <laughs> diagnostic <laughs> criteria but these are just kind of things that make my ears perk up um when I listen to patients and I say, well, you know what, if they come to me and say, you know, I think I have ADHD. I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's talk about it. Why do you think you have ADHD? And then we kind of go down that path. And I'm like, well, what was your childhood like? You know, um, what was your home life like? And then, Mm -hmm. especially for, for understanding and diagnosing it as an adult, is that we have to see that consistency from a school setting and a home or social setting. It has to be presenting in both. Because if it's just occurring at school, that's not ADHD. That might be a learning disability. It might be a, a, a lot of other things, but we know that it's not solely ADHD. So I think it's just, it's more than the symptoms. It's, it's, the, it's the settings that they're occurring in. There's a lot of different factors. Um, a lot of, you know, trauma as well. Um, I like to, well, not like to, but I need to ask my patients, if you had trauma, what age that occur? Because that trauma could be contributing to you having issues with focusing or, mm-hmm. you know, having those issues in school. So there's a lot of different things that, you know, we have to look out um, look at before we diagnose people with
0: anything. Yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense that there is a lot of different factors and a lot of different directions that that it could go. Um I want to talk a little bit about you and you I I can tell just from your feed that you like to travel mm-hmm. and um similar to me, it seems like you work remotely. Now, was that an intentional choice of like now I'm going to work remotely so that you have a little bit more control. I know for me, I've been working remotely for years before the pandemic Mm -hmm. and it works for me. It works for my brain. I like working at home and then being able to go and venture out. But I also like being able to take a trip and working Mm -hmm. and not necessarily missing days, but still being able to go on adventures. So how is working remotely kind of like, how did you choose working remotely and how has it changed your life or like mental well being?
1: I think working remotely is great. I think for me, the hardest thing to get used to was the time zone change. So especially when I was in California, it was a really rough transition because a lot of the patients that I see, I see in the mornings. So, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. to be able to see patients um, during the time that I typically schedule them. So I think that was the hardest thing. But I mean, and then also being able to um, to choose software that would work really well, um, because some all software is not created equal. Sometimes software goes down. Mm-hmm.
0: Even our favorite <laughs>
1: software that we use today, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shade them. But our, our the <laughs> software that our, our office uses now, I love it. It makes my life so easy when it comes to billing and writing notes. But it goes down a lot. So um, wow. you know, working remotely, it can be pretty difficult when you have you know. EHRs that aren't working and you need to, you know, still work and see patients. But, um, I think overall it's, it's definitely helped like work-life balance. Um, I love it. I think it really requires a lot of skill though, because everyone, everyone kind of wants to work remote as a nurse practitioner, but it really takes a really detailed level of skill because there's certain things that you just can't see, you know, remotely um that you could see in person and it also takes a lot a little bit more money people don't think about it um mm-hmm. but like being able to operate you know different screens because I want to be able to see my patient while I'm typing my note so it's different things that you know people just don't necessarily think about um that are still important that you be able to see as a provider
0: So it's a little bit of a different skill set and it's I think the other thing for me when it comes to working remote, you kind of have to be able to be okay with being, by yourself and still yes. be productive and i think that's something that some people forget because they think everybody's working remote and just sitting in their bed um just not really doing anything when it's quite the opposite um i know that's like a personal choice for everybody but um i know for me like i have to have a setting like i have an office i have a designated place and i don't go back in my bedroom typically mm-hmm. and there's just like a set of like boundaries that I set when it comes to working remote. So for anybody that is a nurse out there that is thinking of, or a nurse practitioner, kind of thinking of like, maybe I want to do some remote work. Mm -hmm. What are three tips on how to like work remotely successfully as a nurse?
1: Well, um, I think first, um, having a safe, quiet place that would be HIPAA compliant. is a big one, especially if you have roommates or you had kids. Um, having something that shows your family like that you are seeing patients or you are working um to create that boundary is really good. Second thing I would say still create a work like structure and balance. Get up every day, brush your teeth, please. Yeah, please wash your face.
0: Wash your face, put oh, on take scrubs. Take a shower. You can put the sweats yes. on, but just take a shower. You can put the sweats on the bottom, but not on, on the, the bottom. On the bottom, on the bottom, yeah, on the bottom. Yeah, not on the top. Not
1: on the <laughs> top. Um, and then three, I would say, cleanse your space. That's just me as an empath. Like I just, I feel like I just interact with so many different energies. Like I sage my house before and after Man. work. Um, I'm just big on energy exchange, and I don't necessarily want to have things linger in my house because. We carry a lot of a load. We do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as a psych nurse practitioner, I've seen people at their lowest lows and their highest highs. And I have to constantly remember that I have to, like, literally take care of myself. Just because I work at home doesn't mean my job is easy. Um, Mm -hmm. I've dealt with some really hard things. I've dealt with um, child abuse cases. Um, I've dealt with, you know, patients who have had sexual trauma. I've dealt with a lot of things that could be very hurtful, very. Like spiritually harmful to carry that From interaction to interaction and day to day So it's important to take care of yourself And cleanse your space
0: Yeah, I I second that I cleanse my space often I have Sage, Palo Santo And it just also Like I have little sound Singing bowls that kind of just help Flush the space I open the windows and let the fresh air in And it just helps you feel better So Mm -hmm. If if you're not like super spiritual or you know just you should still try it or try to find some type of routine that rebalances your space so you're not carrying all the things that mm-hmm. you just took in. So and that's for any I think that's for any remote interaction but definitely if you are in the mental health space or just in the healthcare space in general like make sure you're taking care of yourself and being like intentional about doing it often like you deserve to be in a comfortable space yeah i agree um so when it comes to nurses that aren't working remotely so the ones that are whether it be in a hospital setting a clinical setting um actually let's talk about that because i think in my head nurses work in hospitals they work in clinics um they work for insurance companies. I only know that because I used to work for an insurance company with nurses. Mm-hmm. So can you give us kind of like a quick rundown of all the places that nurses exist? Because I don't think everybody realizes quite we're gonna be how here all night. Nurses- <laughs> we're gonna be here all
1: night. Like I I, I think that wherever wherever people are, you could probably find nurses as far as like employment. I mean, nurses work on cruise ships. They, they work inauguration events. One of my colleagues just did an inauguration for the first, um, black governor that Maryland had. Um, you could see nurses in schools, nurses can, nurses are needed in so many different areas, um, and sectors, of our lives so there's i mean if you just look on indeed there there there's there is a job somewhere for a nurse um so it 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 really like we we would be here all night if i said all the jobs that you know in places that nurses can work in corrections psych i mean there's there's so many different things that nurses can do
0: yeah and as far as for those nurses in these different environments um what are five things that a nurse should look for in their work environment, whether that's at a school an inauguration at a hospital at, um, just wherever at, at on a cruise ship, what are some five key things that they should look for in their work environment that would help their mental health? Hmm. Um, I think
1: the first thing would be, um, work-life balance. Um, Second thing would be the availability of senior leadership or um, senior staff to be able to help you and assist in the event of emergency. Um, I think the third thing would probably be um, hmm, safe staffing. If you are in a hospital um, or in that kind of setting, definitely safe staffing. I think four would be... hmm four would be um the tech girls have this but like you know quiet rooms safe spaces and a lot of places are starting to do it more or have like some type of availability to do it um but those are the four that i can think of i can't really think of five those, but i um, think that's
0: good that that's a good list right there yeah
1: yeah sure. it's just it's just unfortunate because i feel like nursing doesn't have all of the um the things, even though tech is doing layoffs right now, they don't have all the availability and kind of perks that tech have, and I, and I mean we can afford it. It's it's clear mm-hmm. that we can afford it in healthcare.
0: So it's just changing the standard. And if you could just change one thing about the healthcare industry in in its relation to nurses and maybe how nurses are treated, or certain policies that are in in play, or maybe like standardizing certain policies across the board. What what's one thing that you would love to see shift in that industry?
1: I think uh, um I think more more compassion to the fact that we're human. So I think that encompasses a lot of things. Like you know it's 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 interesting. I mean we saw a football player you know have CPR and not most people were not actually there in the on the field or in the stadium and the fact that they they feel traumatized but. This is what we go through sometimes every shift, um, but we don't have a place to relax or decompress or, you know, a therapist available on site that we can talk to. Um, It's just very eye opening. And I just wonder if if we put money into if we took a million dollars from the CEO salary, you know, of a lot of these um, these hospitals. I wonder if we would start seeing a change in the satisfaction of our employees, of our nurses, of our healthcare workers. And would, would we start to have a a better sense of job satisfaction?
0: Hmm. I I like that. I think, I hope the right person is listening. Let's just say that. I hope (laughs) so too. I hope so too. Yes. Um, any advice for new nurses, maybe they've just graduated, maybe they, they've just been nurses for a year or so, do you have any advice uh, for them as they prepare to navigate this field? Cuss out the bullies. Like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, no, no,
1: seriously, seriously. So that's- I'm about that's to put that big... on the highlight. That's... Listen, <laughs> that's that's the thing that, that new nurses keep, like, saying is that, you know, and I dealt with bullies, like, not even just as a new nurse, but entering, like, when I went into the OR, like- me and this lady got into it. Well, she she got into it with me. I reported her as a board of nursing because I'm I'm not I'm not playing with you, ma'am. I'm not playing with you when oh, it comes to my patients. I you cannot that. like me, but we're what we're not gonna do, you're not gonna jeopardize my patients, like right. because you don't like me. So I think that I would say like learn how to stand up for yourself, like learn how to deal with confrontational people. Um and understand that it's usually not you a lot of these people are like, I'm just going to be real. A lot of people are miserable. They're miserable. They're not happy in their home life. Their spouse, their spouse or significant other hates them. They're, they're, they're miserable. And a lot of times they see you come in and you're so full of life, full of hope. Um, you're young. Most of y'all, um, you're ambitious. You, you have like a healthy regard for the impossible and I think that some people are intimidated by that. Some people are inspired. Some people are intimidated. And a lot of people just want to bring you down mm-hmm. and you can't let them win. You can't let them win. And instead of, instead of like letting them, letting them win. Um, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to fight back. Like I didn't fight back. I was like, you know, what, I'm just going to leave. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not dealing with this. I'm not trying to change the culture of an organization that, that tolerates bullying Um, but I would say that, like, I would say, don't be discouraged. Um, don't let the bullies run you out and run you away.
0: Oh, I love that. Make sure don't, don't, don't take any of their stuff. Y'all just don't take it. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Cause if I didn't have his
1: license, I would tell y'all just tell, just tell me when they're, when they're bothering with y'all. I will tussle for you.
0: Okay. (laughs) We gonna tag Morgan in. That's uh, right. Tag me in. I'll call the bullies out. (laughs) Oh, man. well, Morgan, I appreciate your time. Um, I I love this conversation and I really hope that there are some... I hope everybody got something from this conversation, but I really hope that there are nurses and healthcare professionals that understand that you are worth it and you are worth being in a space that is healthy for you mentally, physically, emotionally, all that good stuff. But um, I do want to just like give you your flowers because i think you. what you're doing as far as advocating for nurses is is really really important and, and to be able to see a black woman very proudly and boldly like fighting for nurses to live a better life and be treated well i think is really powerful but also really important especially like after the 2020 year of chaos that Mm -hmm. rolled into 2021 (laughs) but yeah i do want to just thank you for you know the work that you're doing and you always got a supporter on this side but um i do appreciate you hopping on the mic with me today
1: oh thank you Gunnar says thank you too oh (laughs) He, he he's right up under me asleep so really
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you didn't meet Peanut and Oreo. They got locked out because they, they were tripping, tearing up the closet. The closet door, like, fell off. It was just a weird day. I told you it was weird today. Oh, no. It was a lot. And no. Oreo ran off yesterday, and I didn't even know he was gone till I came home, and he was standing at the gate on the back patio messing with the cat next door. So that, oh, okay. it's been weird. It's been a weird week. So I'm, I might have to sage... Tonight (laughs) it's something going on with these zones. Something's not right Right, right, Something's not right Oh my goodness But um, thank you to everybody that has listened um, today Thank you to everybody that has been listening to the podcast If you're new and you made it to the end Congratulations, welcome to the family Um, I'm going to plug in All the description Or plug in all the uh, articles that I mentioned earlier Um, Those links will be in the description As well as some more links um, That talk about Healthcare, mental health, and nurses, and the healthcare industry as a whole. And if you're not following us on Instagram, make sure you follow us. M- Morgan, where can they follow you? Where can they find you? So I am on
1: Instagram um, and TikTok, the same username. At Morgan San Diego And it's Morgan like the school San Diego like the city Um, And I have um, I'm going to be posting this on my YouTube When you send it to me So, And I'm on the same username um, For YouTube So I'm going to finally get into that this year
0: And do more lives um, On YouTube so I'm really excited about it Yay I love that I'll be on YouTube too because that's been my That was my (sighs) I tried so hard last year and then I ended up just getting distracted per usual, but that's all my goal for this year is to get on YouTube and, um, you know, push out the content and get these big episodes, like get the actual episodes out there. So hopefully Mm -hmm. by the time you're listening, you have the ability to actually just go watch the episode on YouTube. Um, but yes, I wish you all the best this year. You're invited back whenever you, whenever you want to come back thank you um, yes but thank you again and thank you to everybody that's listening and i will see you on the next episode have a wonderful day bye y'all thank you so much for listening to another episode of black girls have anxiety 2. no matter where you are in the world i really appreciate your support See you again on the next episode. But until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety Too and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's anxious, B-L-K, girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.